You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, what do you hope for? Do you hope for anything? What is the great hope of your life? Uh, Or do you feel like that hope is perhaps something for someone else? Uh, Certainly when you're Younger, you can hope for a fantastic career or uh, riches or uh, fame or position or comfort or leisure. Uh, Maybe your hopes now are a little different. Uh, Maybe your hope is for the next holiday. Or maybe you just hope for things for your kids or your grandkids. Hope is a vital part of life. Hope sustains us and carries us through the dark and difficult times. And so it's tremendously important that the things in which we hope are secure and sure and can last us throughout life. Over the last two years of pandemic, we've discovered just how shaky our hopes can be. Do we put our hopes in security or the big bank balance? Well, many people found that their jobs became less secure. Uh, Do you put your hope in the great holiday while borders were closed? I I don't know how many people told me that they weren't able to go on the cruise that they were looking forward to. Uh, Perhaps you put your hope in a relationship which became strained under the pressures of lockdown. Even the things we thought that were secure, if uh, we discovered are not. And so if we're going to actually live joyfully now and into the future, if we're going to get through the hard times, if we're going to live freely and fully, we actually need a better hope, don't we? Well, today we're starting a new series looking at, at, in our Bibles, at the first letter of Peter. And one of the things he's going to tell us is that there is a better hope. There's something that will last. There's something that is a living hope. But before we get to that, uh, just a bit of background. The letter in the Bible that we're reading, 1 Peter, it was written, it was about 1,970 years ago. It was written by Peter. Uh, who was a close friend of Jesus. Uh, He knew Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He loved Jesus as a true and deep friend. He followed Jesus as Lord, his master and Messiah. He's the same Peter who witnessed the arrest of Jesus, who in his darkest hour denied Jesus, who saw Jesus crucified and with him all of his hopes. The St. Peter who came and saw the empty tomb, who in time saw Jesus himself risen from the dead. That's the Peter. That's the Peter who writes the words that we heard. And he was writing to Christians in what's now modern-day Turkey. And these Christians are suffering. Verse 1, some of them had been exiled from their own country. Things got so bad they had to flee Jerusalem for their life. In chapter 3, verse 16, and chapter 4, verse 16, others are being abused and shunned simply because they're following Jesus. And they're all suffering various trials. See that in 1, verse 6. And he wants to encourage them. He says in chapter 5, verse 12, I'm writing this short letter of encouragement. 
And why? To strengthen their faith and to help them persevere. And so if you're struggling or if you're suffering in any way at the moment, then 1 Peter is actually a great book to be reading. And my prayer is that it will be an encouragement to you and a strength to you uh, over the next couple of months as we look at it. Because Peter writes to you too this morning and he wants you to know there is a hope that is better than any hope that the world can offer. A hope that is living and lasting, a hope that is not just for the future, but it can also be experienced today. And so he begins by reminding these suffering Christians that they're born again to a living hope. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I wonder if you've ever wished that you could just start over, that you would perhaps make some decisions in life differently. There are things you wish you could undo, hurts or pains, that you'd like washed away. Uh, One of the wonderful things about little kids, little babies, is that their life stretches before them, gloriously blank pages full of promise, just ready to be written on. And there's none of the dark things, the things either that we've done or that have been done to us, there's no hurts or pains that we tend to accumulate over years of life. To be born again, wouldn't that be wonderful? Uh, To have a whole new and fresh life, but still actually have all the experience and wisdom uh, that we've gained since. Well, no wonder Peter is excited because he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's given us new birth. He's given us new life. In the mercy of God, he says, new life is possible. Something different and new and free. In the mercy of God, he gives new life. And with this new life comes a new hope. By his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What are the things people normally hope in? Well, health, perhaps, family, uh, professional achievement, wealth, position in society. Uh, They're not bad things in and of themselves, but there comes a day when all of them will fail. They only last at best as long as life does. And actually, the whole process of ageing is all about slowly but surely losing each of those things. The Christian hope is different. It's a living hope because it's not a thing but a person, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again to a new and imperishable life. What's our living hope? It's Jesus himself. Because he is alive, we have a sure and certain hope that death is not the end for you and for me if we follow him. It's a living hope. And you don't have to earn your way to this living hope. It's a hope that is freely given to you. So Peter says he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance. Now what's an inheritance? It's something that is given to you by virtue of your relationship with the benefactor. 
So uh, your kids don't have to do something to earn their part of the inheritance, or at least I hope they don't. Uh, They get it simply because you love them and because they're your kids. God doesn't look at us and say, well, if you're a good enough person, if you do more good things than bad things, then you can have this living hope. No, that wouldn't be very sure and certain, would it? You'd be constantly wondering if you're doing enough, if you're good enough, or maybe you'd just be depressed because you know that you're not. No, that's not how the living hope works. This living hope is not based on what you do, but like an inheritance, it's based on your relationship. Do you trust in Jesus' death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins? Do you follow him and want to live for him? If the answer is yes, then the eternal hope is freely given to you in God's grace, his mercy and his love. And none of those things depend upon you. That's what makes it so sure and certain. That's why Christian hope is not just a living hope, but it's also a lasting hope. There's nothing uncertain about the Christian hope. Uh, You might have hopes for your football team. I had hopes for the Adelaide Crows last night, but they didn't last much longer than the first quarter. It was not a lasting hope. When the Bible talks about the Christian hope... It's completely different, isn't it? It speaks of something assured and certain. The Christian hope is certain because it rests not on our performance but on God's promises. Now, if God loves you, which he does, and God is infinite in power, which he is, there is actually nothing that can defeat his promise. If he promises, it's as good as done. And he has promised that if we trust in Jesus for our sins and resurrection, uh, death for our sins and his resurrection to new life, then forgiveness is ours and we can live eternally with him. That's his promise. The Christian hope is certain because it rests not on our performance but on God's promises. You don't have to worry whether you're good enough or whether you've done enough. Peter writes, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The things we put our hope in can uh, so easily evaporate before our eyes, can't they? We go to the doctor and we hear the bad news. Uh, We can lose the job. Uh, The value of the house can go down. Something happens to the family. All the things that Australians normally put their hopes in can rust or bust or turn to dust. All of them. But the Christian hope? It's an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. It's not subject to the ups and downs of the property market. It's not touched by the, at the, in the least by the pandemic. Because it's based on the imperishable and undefiled and unfading life of Jesus Christ and his life spilling over into ours. What is this hope? It's a living and it's a lasting gift. Well, you might say that sounds good, but it does sound a little bit like pie in the sky when I die. Uh, I need something that can actually help me now. 
Well, this living hope is both future and present. Peter talks about it in both ways in this passage. I wonder if you noticed that. Uh, He said that this salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time in verse 5. And then in verse 9, he says it's something that the Christian receives presently. You are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So, firstly, it's future in that it's it's not until we're called home by God or Jesus returns that we're able to fully live and take joy in the new life that God gives. But even its future aspect actually has a present-day effect. The Christian hope actually changes the way joy and suffering work in your life. If your hope is in things of this world, your happiness will depend on your circumstances. If your hope is in wealth, when the market's wiped out, so is your joy. If it's in a relationship, if that ends, so does your joy. Your sufferings kill your joy, but for a Christian, sufferings work differently. You see that in verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that though perishable is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. It says you rejoice now, presently, even if now, presently, you suffer. Both are present tense. You rejoice, even as you suffer. Now that sounds totally strange and weird. How can that be possible? It doesn't mean as a Christian bad things happen, but you don't really feel it. You know, uh, something terrible happens, you get the bad news about cancer, but, you know, for the true Christian, they just say, oh, well, you know, I trust in the Lord, no worries. No, Christians weep, they feel pain, they cry out to God, but fundamentally can still have this bedrock of joy. And how is that? What does it say? Well, it's like gold. You put gold in the fire and what happens? Well, it's purified. It glows brighter. What's the fire? Well, it's the sufferings, isn't it? That's what Peter's talking about. And what do our sufferings do? For someone who set their minds and hearts on the living hope, it makes you hold on to it harder. It strips away all those other things that might get in the way of depending entirely on God and it drives you into your ultimate joy, into the living hope. You hold on stronger to the only thing that can give you a solid place to stand, a joy that cannot be taken from you. This living, lasting gift of hope is future and it has present effect. But actually it's also something you can take hold of now. Verse 8 and 9, although you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving presently the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's joy because you are present tense, receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So as you love Jesus, as you believe in him, you can experience today the forgiveness of sins, what it's like to live without shame. You can have the gift of God's Spirit who leads you into a new life today. 
if you're a Christian here today, and my assumption here at this church, at this service, is that most of us are, I wonder if you're weary in your troubles. I wonder if you've forgotten what your ultimate hope is. That is not here. It's not now. That it's ahead of you. That your best days are ahead of you. That you have a living and lasting hope in Jesus Christ. Would you take hold of that today? Don't let your sufferings drive you away from that. Hold on to them all the more tightly. Hold on to the living hope. Hold on to Christ. And you'll discover that that's a bedrock that will not let you fall and will carry you through. Well, don't let hope pass you by today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, it's so easy to lower the eyes and look at this world and at our circumstances and place our hopes for happiness and joy right here and now and forget that all joy and happiness is in your hand. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to hold on to the living hope we have in the resurrection of Christ, to know that the best is ahead. Lord, we thank you that it is kept in heaven for us, that eternal hope. And we thank you also for your promise in this passage that we're kept for that day as well. That you guard us and you carry us. And so, Father, I pray particularly for anyone in sufferings or difficulties now. Lord, I pray that your living hope might uh, break through into their hearts that we might come to you and take hold of and live that eternal hope that you've given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.